0: Welcome to The Wayfinder Show with Adam Lacey and Luis Hernandez, where guests discuss the why and how of making changes in their life that led them down a greater, more authentic path or allowed them to level up in some area of their life. Our goal is to dig deep and provide not only knowledge, but actionable advice to help you get from where you are to where you want to be. Come join us and find the way to your dream life. Everyone, welcome to the Wayfinder Show with Adam Lacey and Luis Hernandez. I'm Adam Lacey here, and today we have a really special episode for you today. Uh Louis and I decided that we'd like to give you guys an opportunity to get to know us, uh, get a little behind the scenes on who we are, where we've been, where we're going, and also why we decided to start the podcast. So today I am going to interview my co-host, Luis Hernandez. So Louie, uh you know, in addition to being one of my good friends and accountability partners, he's a husband, he's a father, he's a real estate investor, he's an avid reader, he's a finance nerd, and definitely an avid runner, which we'll get into a little bit but um, yeah, man, to get us started off, why don't you take us a little bit through your childhood and your upbringing and and we'll start there,
1: sure, thanks, Adam. It's a pleasure to be here on the Wayfinder show the uh <laughs> Yeah, I hear this is like the greatest new show in, in podcasting, so it's yeah. really quite an honor. I've heard yeah. nothing but
0: spectacular things myself.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> so, um, yeah, me, I'm, I uh, I kind of consider home the town of Central Falls, Rhode Island. It's where I spent my high school years and uh, where my family, uh, well, now they're in Providence, Rhode Island, uh, Central Falls is right outside of there, but uh yeah, I think those are, you know, where I've, where I have like my oldest relationships. I did grow up like my elementary school years and all that were in, uh, in uh, Queens, New York and Jackson Heights, Queens. And what these two areas actually have in common is that they're big, like immigrant enclave communities. My parents immigrated here from, uh, uh, Medellin, Colombia, and they, uh, arrived into Jackson Heights and that's where there was a lot of Colombians, um, as a matter of fact, uh, uh flushing queens is a park there called flushing meadow park um and they have the largest colombian independence day festival in the world even larger than the ones in colombia or they used okay. to i don't know if they still do which is interesting but yeah. um so you know it's it's one of those points of entry for a lot of colombians or at least it was at the time they arrived and then they all kind of like spawn off to different areas you know and there's different little enclaves around the country and one of them happens to be central falls rhode island where we went. So we were, we were really poor growing up. My parents, they worked really, really hard, but in, you know, menial jobs, my father uh, worked, both my parents worked in factories, uh, cleaning services, you know, the kind of low skill labor uh, immigrant jobs that a lot of people have when they come here. And uh, we lived in, in Queens. We lived in a three bedroom apartment and there were five of us I have two younger sisters. And and in their um we we lived in one of the bedrooms all five of us um so we would usually uh you know we slept on on like a bigger mattress in my mind i m- imagine it to be like a king size mattress uh and but you know we're small people so <laughs> it could have just been a twin size i don't know and and we'd uh we'd pull it down uh to sleep uh and then uh and pull it back up uh when we wake up and and we'd pull down a, a dining room table you know that and that's what we kind of like revolved around right and that's that's uh to give you an idea of how it was and and it wasn't even unusual. like that's uh, a lot of the people in our building that that was how they lived. you know, it was it was pretty low class. and um we thought, um in my middle school years, we moved to Central Falls, Rhode Island. My parents started getting worried, and uh, you know, I had an aunt who lived there, and my parents had friends there, so we moved there. and we, we uh, it, it actually got way worse right away. Central Falls happens to be like one of those towns that uh, is a leading leads all the metrics in the state of Rhode Island for everything you don't want it to be leading. Uh, teenage pregnancy, uh, you know, income is amongst the lowest. Violence, uh, high school dropout, high school, you know, people who go to college, just about all of those metrics you don't want to be at the top of the list for. We were at the top of the list for. So um, so sure enough, we get there in like week one, uh, you know, I I immediately got like jumped by a bunch of kids. And, you know, it it, uh, it just was, you know, the typical like kind of inner city violent community. It was it was rough. Um, But, you know, uh, eventually made a lot of friends, learned a lot of like uh, survival skills, you know, especially being a little guy. That kind of defined me, I think. Later on in life, like uh, I I quickly learned that, like being funny and cracking on people, (laughs) uh, if you're good at it, you can avoid getting, uh, you know, your butt kicked. So, because oftentimes after school, it was like the people who can like crack on somebody the the best, you know, or say the best jokes uh, would not get, you know, would be kind of popular and not get beat up. So that was one of my defense mechanisms, I guess, that I built up. Which I so think did later you fall on, into
0: that popular crowd then, would you say, growing up
1: there when you moved there? Yeah, I, I like to think I was pretty, I was good friends with everybody. Like there wasn't, you know, we weren't like a, like the type of high school where you see on TV, <laughs> you know, I mean, we were more like everybody, everybody in our high school probably came from a similar background. Like their parents didn't go to college, uh, you know, there were a few exceptions, of course, but you know, they they, they were all going to be first generation. All of our parents immigrated from a different country. It was very diverse as to which countries they came for. Central from Central Falls was always, uh, you know, a, an immigrant community like before. Uh, you can you can actually tell what the waves were, because like the landlords, the people who owned the houses were the previous generation. So like a lot of Colombians own a lot of buildings in Central Falls now. But uh, when we were growing up, it was a lot of Portuguese. A lot of Syrian, Armenian, they owned a lot of the properties there. And so they were our landlords. Uh, And that's kind of what it always was, uh, because it's a big factory town. So it attracted a lot of immigrants to go work in the factories. Because of that, I I don't know if there was like the really like the cool kid crowd. It was, you know, there was definitely some athletes or all that. But I, I would say more, more of there were there were better athletes that didn't play organized sports in our high school than otherwise because we all had to like work right so like i i never got to play an organized sport in high school i always had to keep like two or three jobs you know just to help my parents pay rent and and you know get the laundry done and all that so so really couldn't play sports um so it's sad because there's a lot of really good talent that comes out of central falls and every once in a while you see some of it uh, you know, uh shine and and they'll win, they'll very regularly win like state soccer titles or whatever. We actually won the state chess championship when uh like a few years in a row. And we would beat some of those prestigious New England prep schools, uh, especially the ones in Rhode Island that are pretty well known and and we would regularly beat them in chess tournaments and everything. Uh as a matter mm-hmm. of fact, I was a fourth board on one of the state championship teams. So I guess chess nice. you know it's not a team it, not an organized sport but you know i would get in detention a lot and we would play chess there and so then my <laughs> my chess the detention teacher was also the uh miss leonard she was our uh you know it was a way of avoiding detention just going and playing chess with the team and and then before you know it i was on the team and we'd go and play which was really fun so yeah that was kind of my upbringing and then uh for college i was pretty smart luckily I went to, I, there was a program that would take kids from Central Falls out and they'd take us to visit different colleges and we'd apply there and all that. And I got into a lot of them and got into a Northeastern, which was in Boston. It's only like 45 minutes away, but it seemed like a whole different world, right? And, uh, and they offered me good money. I actually got in on an engineering scholarship and I went just to get away. I, most of my friends who were going to college or, or a lot of them would go to the community college to college path, went to University of Rhode Island. Uh, so I, I viewed that as a place to just go party <laughs> and I thought I would just continue to get in trouble if I went there. So instead I went to Northeastern and, uh, that just exposed me to a whole different world. You know, I had a roommate who's from Natick mass and I'm sure he's become very successful just a lot of people who, who just had a different way of life that I just thought like, wow, this, this is not just on TV. And that was pretty neat.
0: That is cool. So, mm-hmm. I mean, was it difficult to maintain good grades and really get to a point where you could get into Northeastern growing up in an environment that, you know, as you said, wasn't really geared towards that?
1: Yeah, you know, in in high school, it was easy to maintain good grades. I hardly ever even tried. I could get all my work done in school and and get good grades. I'd score well on tests. Um, My goal was always to, you know, not... Have to take books home because then I would look like a nerd and probably get jumped. So, I I would get all my work done in school. Sometimes I'd purposely get detention or something just to get it done there. But in college it was different, right? So I got in. I had pretty good math SAT scores and did good in the science and math classes. So somehow that helped me get into Northeastern for engineering. But that was that was I, I lost my scholarship actually, and really just a whole different world. I mean. Like, you know, computers, for example, I, I never had one. I did my, uh, I would go to a friend of ours uh, uh, house who had, a, she had a word processor. We'd go to her house to do our, our college essay exams <laughs> and, and do them there. on a word processor, which is, you know, kind of like a fancy typewriter that just remembers what you put in. So it's just a step above an, uh, a typewriter, but below a computer. But when we got to college, we had to write all of these uh like five page essays, which, you know, now I look in, back and think like, that's nothing, but you know, you had to get them done on a computer. So I, I really had no idea how to use a computer uh, very simple things like sending emails and all that. Uh, you just didn't have that. We had four share computers in our library. I remember, and you had to sign up for them and what have you. And and oftentimes they shut them down because they break down or whatever. So you couldn't really use them. So you get to college and you have to use them to get everything done quickly and you know you lose all the papers on the floppy disks and all that so i i i failed miserably and i didn't know i thought i was good at math and then i took calculus and i'm like oh wow this is not <laughs> easy so i i flunked out of engineering um i lost my i fell below the grade point average i needed to to keep my scholarship mm-hmm. and uh i thought i wasn't going to go back you know until that first uh summer uh when i went back uh, home and I was just hanging around with my old friends and I just saw like, Hey, things aren't very positive here. Everybody's still, you know, getting in trouble, uh, just doing the same old stuff. A lot of like, uh, a lot of my friends started drug dealing and different things like that. And I just saw that it wasn't going to be a positive way. So I I tried to go back and I, I couldn't stay. I, I didn't like engineering cause I just couldn't handle it. I didn't understand. It was too, too hard for me. And I lost my scholarship. And so I applied for sociology and and business to transfer in and I got in, ended up majoring in in sociology, which now looking back, I didn't realize, you know, what that meant. (laughs) Nobody was pushing me to, hey, just figure it out or get tutoring or any of that. I mean, there was, I had no, nobody telling me what you can do, what the options are. Go talk to a professor, simple things like that. Talk to your teachers, see what you can do. Go to study hall, study hours. Um, I didn't know all these things because there was nobody before me who went to college to say, Hey, these are the things you do when you're struggling. Um, you know, I was, I was looked at as, you know, the the kid who got out of the hood and went to college and, you know, but that, that also set a path that I just didn't know how to handle. So, yeah, mm-hmm. but I eventually ended up doing really well. Like I, I ended up getting involved with the Latin American student organization. It became the largest organization, student organization in, in, Northeastern we were a big welcoming crowd of just happy-go-lucky Latinos who it wasn't you know invited everybody it wasn't just Latinos and there I met my now wife as well and uh, I became president of the organization and got invited to you know a lot of different events and all that so uh that I had never had exposure to and that was just really rewarding and and, and felt great and made a lot of lifelong friends through it and that helped me get through. that's um, great yeah.
0: so what did you do after college?
1: I went to go work for the Boy Scouts. It was one of my many jobs during the uh, during college. I, I taught uh they had a scouting program for kids in the housing projects in Boston where we we, we kind of gave like a I don't want to say a watered down program of scouting, but it was you know a little different, and we did just try to get the kids outdoors and take them camping and all that and um and then they offered me uh, in my senior year a job uh, to be the director of that program. And so I started early before I graduated with a with a what I called a real job. And um I did that for a few years, transferred to Baltimore. That's how I ended up there. You know, one other thing that was pretty significant for me in college though was um uh Northeastern's a five year school. During the third year, they call it the middle year. In my middle year, we did um I, I got my real estate license and started renting out apartments. Hmm. And that obviously Ended up setting the path to define the rest of my life because it, it gave me the first real exposure to real estate. And in Boston, a lot of people use brokers to rent apartments. So that's what I did. And it was great side money during college because, you know, a lot of my classmates were my clients. You know, they'd go rent an apartment and I'd rent it for them, you know. And so I kept that up. Everywhere I moved, I'd, I'd transfer my license and get back involved in real estate.
0: Did you see that as a career path at the time, or was it just really a way to scrape by with some extra cash?
1: Yeah, I kind of saw it as a way to scrape and buy some extra cash. I thought it was, you know, uh, it seemed like a lot of money to me at the time just to get a half of a month's commission. And uh, yeah, and and, and that's how I saw it. I didn't think it was like a real career, right? Like, I, I thought you go to college for... You know, to become an engineer or sociologist or whatever and uh not to be a real estate broker. Yeah, um, the
0: typical corporate salary path yeah. totally.
1: Totally. And, yeah.
0: And real estate investing and entrepreneurship is just kind of this this other thing that a lot of people don't talk about. So that's right. that's right. So getting into that, I mean you you became a real estate investor and you got heavy into flipping homes in Baltimore. Can we talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'll I'll never forget the first time my wife and I went to Baltimore. We drove, she was my girlfriend at the time. We lived together in Boston and we were looking at jobs in Baltimore. And uh, we drove down there. um, And mind you, when you live in New England, that's all you know, or the Northeast, like, you know, it's it's like a seven hour drive, but it feels like it's like, you know, a big road trip, right? (laughs) Anything like that's more than like an hour, seems like it's a huge road trip. So we took this huge road trip down for our interviews and everything in Baltimore. And I remember pulling into the inner Harbor and we took a, a wrong turn somewhere and it was the middle of the night. Right. And, uh, but it was a beautiful night. It was like summer, spring season, not too hot. And it was just had that crisp air. And we took a turn somewhere and we ended up in a, one of those stereotypical Baltimore neighborhoods that you think of, when you think of Baltimore, where it was one of those blocks that it was lots of board-ups. Uh, there were people hanging out outside and all that. But uh, really, the board-ups is what caught my eye. I was just like, oh, my God, look, that house is boarded up. Like, I wonder what that goes for. I just saw that as opportunity. And then I saw another one and another one. It just tons are in there. I looked at it with, like, the brightest eyes. Like, this is the land of opportunity. This is what people come to America for. You can buy it. You know, I started looking at them, finding that they. They sell for like $10,000 or less, you know? And I'm like, oh my God, this is incredible. So that's what what happened. You know, we we, we ended up moving there. We got the jobs. I transferred with the Boy Scouts at the time. And uh, and I quickly, my wife and I, quick, we rented at first, but we quickly bought a house there. Our first house was like $90,000 and it was a single family house. It was the first time I ever lived in a single family house in my life. We had a yard, I had to mow a lawn. I had never had to do that in my life. And, um, and I just thought like, wow, this this is amazing. In reality, it was probably like a 1,400 foot bungalow from like the 1920s. Um, great neighborhood in, in Baltimore City. In, it's in an area called uh, Hamilton, which is northeast Baltimore. But um, we bought it for 90, and this was like 2001. And within a year, it it, it was like a 200000 dollars house. It just started exploding there. So all of a sudden, I had access to all this equity and all this stuff. So I, I got a line of credit. I started bidding on uh, houses, those, those vacant properties. One of them, HUD, at the time had like an online auction. And it had like 80 properties up. And I remember I wanted to see them all. And I, I didn't know how to do that. I thought I could you know, get in this. And, uh, no, you have to go with a HUD certified whatever uh, broker. So I just started calling them and I'm like, hey, I want to go. None of them want to go show you <laughs> $10,000 houses that are boarded up, right? So I found one guy that that would, who later on became a really good friend of mine. And he showed me like two or three. And then he gave me like access code to, to go see them all. And I did. I, I probably looked at 60 of those 80 all in one weekend. And I bid on probably 10 of them, like really low, thinking I'm never going to get any. There's no way. This is too low. So I got, I ended up getting two. <laughs> I won the auction and I had to come up with a, I think I had to put like a thousand dollars deposit and I didn't really have it. Oh, so another thing that was happening is I was in, I went going back to school. I was in law school at the time. I ended up leaving the Boy Scouts working for the city of Baltimore. I was the Hispanic liaison to the health commissioner. So I've done a lot of different things. So I I had a little more time because it was a government job, I hate to say. So this is the stuff I was doing to keep me from being busy. I had, uh, it was in between like the spring summer class. And so I I had all the student loan money that I could tap. And so I used that to put, get the deposits. And then I wrote Mm -hmm. like some nice PowerPoint and I sent it out to people and I got that line of credit. I think I got it after because I didn't know how to get it at first and it took me some time. And I got a couple of people who bit and, and they were like, yeah, we, we got you back. We'll help you. And so I got one and I, the first uh, right away, I closed it. And uh, I still remember the address it's 1619 Ramsey Street in South East, Southwest Baltimore. And I uh, wound up working on that one by myself every day during the day. I would go to, to my office and I would look up like what I needed to do to fix something and you know, go at night. I then, you know, after work, I'd go to, to law class and then I'd go and work on the house till I was just couldn't work anymore. And then I would write, what What do I need to figure out for the next day and figure it out and just kept going. And that took much longer than I thought it would. And I thought, um, and, and I may, and, um, and I couldn't go back to school cause I, I, I kept borrowing from the student loan money to <laughs> keep funding the project. And so I couldn't go back that summer, but eventually I did fix it, sell it, close it. And I got a check for $35,000 at closing. Mind you, I think my salary at the time was like 30,000. So I'm like, Holy cow. I just made $35,000. This is the most money I've ever seen. (laughs) Right. And uh, so then I go with the next one. Remember I told you I had two, I did find the money to close the other one with some investors and what have you. And then I got, I used the money I had from that first one to get a crew and that crew got it done like in a month. And we made not much less than 35,000. It was, it was like 20 something. And I remember thinking, oh my God, I just need to do more of this. So then I got really good at finding and I just would find a whole bunch of vacant boarded up properties. Nothing was too scary for me. Actually, the, the worse the better. I, I just got a real high off of getting these abandoned boarded up places. I really, really enjoyed that. And over time, we we ended up rehabbing. We we were doing like a few dozen a year. I mean, I I think we ended up doing over thirty properties, and um, and, and it was just really rewarding. Almost all of them went to homeowners. A couple sometimes some investors would buy them from out of town for for uh, renting them back, and and it just kept going and and kept doing bigger projects, nicer houses. Uh, got into small commercial. Like we bought a bar that got shut down from the city because it was serving underage minors, and got that bar and built it into, you know, had some nice restaurants in there and offices and yoga studio and different things. It was, I would like to think, think, it was pretty transformative, you know?
0: Very nice. And what year uh, was this?
1: All this was from about 2002 till about 2009. Okay. But, yeah. So as you know, so this, in there is 2008. Scary
0: 2008, 2009 era. Let, yeah. So 2008,
1: is really where everything started to go down. You could see it start to turn in two thousand seven, but I didn't understand. I thought things would be okay. Mm-hmm. One of the one of the lessons I've learned is when you start off and everything you do works. Like I made a million mistakes, Adam. And um, I, you know, I remember all my initial uh, budgets and everything, timelines. Everything got thrown off, and I'm like, but you just keep going, right? And and then no matter what, I still made money, oftentimes more than I expected to make. And um, and it's because I didn't realize like I was on a rising tide, right? I was just riding a rising tide forever. And so at first I thought like, oh man, I just got lucky. I got to be really careful, right? But when you've done this 20, 30, 40 times, then you start to think it's you it just feeds your ego and you're just like oh shit like i i am i'm brilliant i'm a genius i can <laughs> nothing can go wrong give me the hardest thing around and i'll do it it doesn't matter until you know you get like mike tyson says you know everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the face and and that's what happened with the 08 crisis I like a punch in the face and i had all these properties i think we were at like 11 properties and uh and, and we just couldn't sell any of them like th- there were there were no banks issuing mortgages on any of them. So by then I had, you know, savings and we had a nice house and all this stuff. And, and, and we were just tapping all our HELOCs and everything going through Cause I'm thinking, Oh, this is going to pass. No big deal. You know, and we'll look we'll at it just like we always do till it didn't, you know, and then all of the money just disappeared. And, uh, before, you know, we had none. And I went back to the Boy Scouts of America and just begged him for a job. And I, I think my, I went back and I was making like 36,000, by by this time, I had gotten used to making well over six figures for a few years in a row, and here I am getting my you know thirty six thousand dollar a year job again, <laughs> you know, which was very yeah. humbling. But I I did it because I did it because I was trying to save our house. Um, you know, at that time there was a program called HARP, which you know if you got if you could show you have steady income. And you could make like three payments in a row that you'd get to save your house and it'd help you refinance. Mm-hmm. However, we did that. And my wife went back to work as well. And uh, and and somehow we still didn't get to keep the house. Um, they just said so we weren't making enough to keep our house. So we obviously bought bigger than we should have. Did you have kids so, at
0: this time yet?
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. We had um, that time a one-year-old and, and a three-year-old. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, so we ultimately, yeah, we had to make the decision. It was just like, uh, we, I remember it, it hit me, like everything was falling apart and just couldn't figure out how to make ends meet. And it just struck me like, I wonder if I can go bankrupt and what that yeah. would mean. And I started going to talk to lawyers about it. And like one of them, I remember he just threw me out. Cause he like looked at all of the properties we had on paper, you know, and, and he said like, well, you have way too many assets. Like you, you, you can't. Go bankrupt, or or another one was like, oh, it's going to cost you like ten thousand dollars to file, and I'm like, where the hell do I get ten thousand dollars? And um, it was just nuts until one of them finally is like, yeah, you
0: seems kind of counterintuitive in a way, right? You got to pay ten grand that you don't have to file bankruptcy.
1: Totally. Oh yeah, <laughs> it was crazy. It was just I just couldn't believe how hard it was. Yeah, so we finally got one that did, and he's like, he starts looking at our assets, and he sees okay, they're they're all underwater. We got we borrowed more against them than, than they, they were worth, you know, uh, just couldn't things just couldn't float it. We just didn't know. And um, I know this seems simplistic to people, but you know, it wasn't like, I really thought we were doing the right thing and trying to keep everything afloat, And we felt good about what we did. Uh, yeah. We took, you know, vacant properties and businesses and and turned them and we really had all the best intentions with it. But now yeah. I see, you know, I see where the flaws are now, but didn't seem that way before, and so anyway, so we filed, and the bank still wouldn't take our houses. Uh, none of the properties. <laughs> we mailed the keys and everything. We weren't liable for them, but they just wouldn't take them. So, but I, you know, I didn't know. I sometimes I I'd try to get them rented, all different things, and you know, nothing worked. And finally, we we're like, hey, let's just you know, nothing's working here. It feels like a dark cloud. And we just decided to start, my wife couldn't get a job anywhere else. I was promotable at the Boy Scouts, but I couldn't, you know, I wanted to see where she would go. She, she had a better job than me. She was like an admissions director for Johns Hopkins university. So we just started looking outside of Baltimore. And then we were like, let's just see, let's apply all over the country. And she started getting jobs all over. And we came to Colorado. And I remember we went on a, a, like one night we, they put us up in a hotel in Boulder. She had two interviews. I had two interviews and um, and we, it was our first time away. Her mother came and took care of our kids for five days. During that time, it was our and we just and we were here. It was like January, and and we were like, wow. Even if we don't get these jobs, let's let's just come to Colorado. <laughs> we just fell in love with it. We're like, we got nothing to lose. You know, we can't. We don't have the property. I mean, we have them, but we can't really. You know, they're not really. <laughs> they're for, they're going to be foreclosed at some point. All this. So we did it. We we got the jobs, luckily, and we came out and and then we started a new life in Colorado, you know. Yeah. So that's
0: great. I mean, you just kind of took us through a lot of the technical milestones that happened, but mentally, emotionally, where are you at? I can't I can't imagine, you know, kind of where you came from to get into a point where you're making well into the six figures as an entrepreneur. You've left your job, you're flipping houses, you're doing good in the community, and then you get punched in the mouth. And I mean, where were you at? Were there some pretty dark days or was it more just like, Hey, I'm rolling with the punches. This is what I'm going to do. And and you just kind of kept chugging on.
1: Yeah. I, I think a little bit of both, right. I was definitely, I think about myself now in that time and I was definitely darker, you know, I was way more pessimistic and negative. And I just thought like, I couldn't see solutions to any problem. Right. what's the saying? I think there, there's not a, a, uh, a solution i can't find a problem to <laughs> at the time yeah. and um i think yeah it, it was hard i mean i drank a lot uh, i was never abusive or anything like that i think i was a very involved dad uh but i now i look at him like i i mean i don't drink r- i rarely drink at all anymore so i i think um it, it feels like it was a lot now i was generally fairly unhappy i mean i had a one-year-old and a three-year-old right so I think my my one year old had just turned 2 when we came here. I I just remember I, I don't know where I would have been if it wasn't for for having kids. I I don't know what I would have been doing. I don't think I was suicidal or anything, but I would have definitely been mm-hmm. doing stupid things, you know. And they were what kept me trying. And yeah, I also knew okay. I knew I made a lot of mistakes, but I didn't know what they were. And I also knew that the world had gone through this crazy time. And a lot of people recognized it and did really, really well from it, And I was just blown away by that. Like, how did people actually make money and lots of money during this time? How did they recognize that? And so I really spent, That that's what, eventually I applied to business school and, uh, and got an MBA. And I thought it was, you know, in hindsight I probably should have just gone back and studied like macroeconomics which is what I'm more of a student of, I believe. Cause I think if you could have seen those macroeconomic factors coming I I would have made much different decisions. I just didn't understand the world at at such a high level, right? And then all the soft skills. One of the things I started doing was running. Running is a big part of my life. It's uh you know I had a friend in in college, one of my best friends and roommates. He he's he's that friend. Uh, he's going to listen to this, I'm sure. And and he's, I don't know, how he's going to react to this, but uh, he, he's a great guy, but you know, he's that friend who's like really unathletic, <laughs> kind of clumsy. And uh, we all joked around him with that. And, and I hadn't seen him in many years. And this is, we still lived in Baltimore and we're in the middle of all our stuff going down. And I went and took a trip to Rhode Island on the way back, stopped in New York. He lived in Rego Park, Queens, and we went to visit him and I hadn't seen him in years. And he was telling me how, he was going to run a marathon. And I'm like, nah, man, you come on. (laughs) Like I still laugh about it to this day. Like thinking like of all people, he's going to run a marathon. And I'm like, but I had never met anybody who'd run one. And I I was just like, how does that work? How do you train for one? How do you do this? So he gave me this book called the non-runners marathon training. Well, he didn't give it to me. He said he was following. It was a journal. It was a, turns out it was this college class. I think it was like two professors at a university of Idaho or something who taught it as a class. And, the 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 course is you going through the training basically and at the end you got to run a marathon to pass, so I was reading I read like half the book sitting there and I'm like wow this is amazing I want to do this and I had always been a high like I I always set big goals for myself and I like to plan for them and like you know reverse engineer it and that that kind of provided all of that and I'm like you know what I'm gonna run a marathon so it wasn't like I got to run 5k all this and one of the first things the book tells you is you got to be able to run for a half hour straight without stopping so I went back home I ordered the book I think I'm going to do this I read that part and I'm like all right let me go out and see how much I can run and I ran for like five minutes <laughs> before I crashed
0: yeah so then mm-hmm. I had to
1: wait and I looked up like how do I get to run to a half hour and learned how to do that and it took me like six weeks and then I got back into the book and you know, and that led me down that path. Uh, my, one of my, my, my business partner that was going down with all this stuff at the time was he, he was a runner, not a marathoner per se, but he, he liked to get out. He was fit. He was, he was just a better person. Me very healthy person in in, in every way. Um, he, he decided he would do the marathon with me and we we went into the Philadelphia marathon. That was 2010. And then when I moved to Colorado, I thought it was, I thought it was big shit, right? Like I had the sticker in the back of the car and I'm thinking like, I just ran a <laughs> marathon, I'm Superman, all this stuff. And I moved to Colorado. I'm thinking, Oh, I kind of enjoyed that. Maybe I'll go and, and meet people by running. And so I, I found out like every brewery in Colorado has a run club. So I started going to one there and met people there and then they're all and I'm thinking, I'm saying, "How, yeah, I just ran a marathon." And I'm like, "Big shit." And they're all like, "Oh yeah, you know, I'm doing one this weekend. I just did one last weekend, and you know, I've run twenty of them already, and all this time I'm like, "Yeah, you don't even have a sticker in the back of your car." <laughs> Before you know it, like, you know, you'd ever notice in Colorado, nobody's got a sticker in their car, but everybody runs marathons or hundred oh, yeah. milers or whatever. It's crazy. So I was just like amazed by all that. I mean, and then I just. Started as something in the way to meet people, but then they tell you about things like a Boston, you start to learn about that. Like when I went to college in Boston, the marathon didn't register for me. It was just the only day you can go out and have an open container because of all the blue laws in Massachusetts. So so that was the big party. No school, open containers, great party day. So all these things started like just growing in my mind. And I, I just started studying it and I was really slow. My first one was like in four hours and 56 minutes. Now it's slow for me. That wasn't slow to me back then. For some people are gonna hear this and they're gonna be like, "Oh, that's really slow." No, that's no. It it was slow for me compared to now because I've been working at it for many years. But um, then I made it a goal to want to run Boston. I just I kept getting injured and hurting because I actually had like pretty fast like sprint short speed. I didn't realize there was a difference between endurance and natural speed. And started learning more and more about all those things. So then I realized, so I don't get injured, I have to, you know, make it a longer term goal. So all these little things that I learned through getting better as a runner, I started applying towards business and just life and outlook and jobs and career and business. Learn from everything. Every run, you know, I started journaling for the first time in my life. After every run, I just take a note of it. You know, I read like every book out there about running. Uh, Listen to start, you know, podcasts started coming out. Listen to all the podcasts, and they all had these similar traits. And now I look at that and I think like this is really to what's important in life, these skills, you know, thinking long-term, you know, learning from everything, being, trying to provide value for like uh, your community, being a part of a community, all these things. And it's, it's kind of what got me back into real estate eventually, actually. Um, I, I tried the corporate thing after business school, thinking that was great. And, and I thought, you know, I really just not need to apply all the lessons I've learned uh, from real estate and just keep getting better at it, you know, and, and, and that all translates again from running. Yeah. That, that's how I got through it basically. Uh, I'll, and of course my family support, I'm very lucky. My wife never God, my wife is gorgeous, brilliant. Uh, I mean, really smart, ambitious, successful. She's a much better entrepreneur than I am. And, and I don't know what the hell she ever did with me during those times, but just the <laughs> fact that she put up with me is like, uh, uh, um, helps a lot like now I am so grateful for it and I just wasn't even recognizing that during those dark times
0: yeah no it's completely understandable and now you know you just got done running a marathon pretty darn close to three minutes last weekend uh you've run you're running marathons <laughs> all over the world because can you kind of tell us your next uh steps or goals or what you're shooting for in the running world
1: yeah I'm really trying to break the three-hour marathon now I uh, I've had um I've gotten close. I got a I got a my closest is three hours and four minutes. So yeah, so I I'd like to do it before I turn fifty. I'm forty seven now. I'm not like uh, married to the goal. Honestly, I really really enjoy the process of going for it, and I still learn every day from every run. So that that's my big goal: just getting to to break three hours by by the time I turn fifty. Uh, if it doesn't happen, it, do, it doesn't happen, but I'm going to go for it, you know, and, and give it all I got. And I I have, in these last two races I've done, I had a 308 in London and I, I had a 320 just last week. I did one in, in Mesa, Arizona, and I thought I was on pace for it. I was, I was really, really close to three hours. And then right around mile 20, I hit the wall, as they call it, and I, I made a rookie mistake. I mean, it just shows no matter what I know, here I am in the desert. Is dry (laughs) you know phoenix is essentially a desert and uh and i didn't take any salt with me and i cramped up and my leg just completely locked and i'm like man this is a dumbass mistake like i've run this is my 12th marathon i i you know it doesn't matter you got to go always keep the basics in mind you know so um, uh yeah so i'll I'll try again this fall i haven't decided what yet i applied for new york city i've done it before um i i was well over four hours i'd love to break you know, go back and and kind of show off that I can (laughs) get it done under four hours now. Um, But, but, you know, it's not important to me if I do New York City again. Another big goal for me is to run all the world marathon majors. I've now done five of them. I just need Tokyo. So if anybody who listens to this can help me get into Tokyo, that is so hard to get into. (laughs) Um, uh, What does that process
0: look like? You just have to post good times from previous events or is there more? No,
1: there is a time... A way of getting in through time, but for me, that's just—I'd have to make it a full-time job for a couple of years. I think it's, it's something like two forty or two thirty oh, marathon. Okay. I think it is, it's so far ahead of where I am that I—I I couldn't. I—I I believe we can get to anything if we work hard enough at it. I just—I—I can—I I will not work hard enough for it. <laughs> so the other way is a lottery, uh, and they only have a certain amount of entries for people who are not Japanese nationals so for that lottery. So it, it, it's really, really hard to get in through lottery. Uh, and there's a couple of other backdoor ways I've heard, but they're, they're all really difficult. Okay.
0: So that's great, man. I'm glad you, we got a chance to talk about that. Cause I know how important that is to you. And I know how, <laughs> I think you credit that a lot of your running to how much success you've had in other areas of your life. And like you talked about learning patience and long-termism and, and just being able to put in the habit day after day to, to achieve your goal. I mean, uh, running played into that a lot for you. So that's good. Um, so speaking of other things, business and whatnot, what are you up to these days?
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, we have uh, started a little brokerage um, about a year ago now. It's called the Pioneer Group Realty here in Denver, Colorado. Mm-hmm. We have a, a small residential team there are now soon to be four of us uh, residential agents serving the Denver metro area. And then uh, my partner in that, he, um, I, I actually was brokering under his company, but I carried the license for a while because he owns a large property management company here in, in Denver. And they mar- manage like large apartment communities uh, in the light tech space. Uh, which is low income housing tax credits. Those are those two three hundred mm-hmm. unit buildings that uh, people build for tax credits, that developers build for tax credits. Um, and he he's probably the largest property manager in Denver for that. And and once he got his managing brokers level license, and I I spun off the brokerage from there. And the great thing is we're we're doing a lot of great things together. They're pretty unique. We get to work with you know some of his clients who are developers and helping them find. Uh, like land to develop buildings in. And and some of these are turning into, you know, house uh, communities that we'll we'll be selling in the coming years, which is really fun. So I'm enjoying just learning about commercial and land development and all that. And then we get to sell new homes as well. Other than that, we really into this, uh, you know, growing this, the the Wayfinder show. I think uh, it's a great, uh, something I've always thought about. I've really enjoyed getting to know you, Adam, and and, and working with you. I and mean, you're you're a man of action. And you know, you take it. And I, I'd like to think of myself that way too. And I think we helped our like to think that we helped each other get this started because I, I know you you wanted to do this too.
0: Hell yeah. So other than you have finding an amazing partner for this podcast, yeah. Yeah. Why, well, why the podcast though? Like why why do you want to do it and what's the goal with it?
1: Yeah, I I know we might have a little bit uh different. But similar goals on this. Mine is really, it's two, two things. One is I want to, I am fascinated by, I, I love people, first of all. I think I'm a people person. I love, love people and I love to hear their stories. I love to hear about their hardships, how they overcome them, how they have, you know, really succeeded. I, I love working with, with really successful people and uh, how they, how, how they built their success, you know. Uh, especially if they've been through some hardships, I think we've had some really interesting guests so far, and I can't wait to, you know, for our guests to hear them. But their stories are amazing, and it makes me think, yeah. like, wow, how, how, if they've done all that, which is just amazing, with some of the things they've been through, how aren't I? Uh, how, how can I make an excuse for myself? Like, I've been very, very lucky through life compared uh-huh. to some of these guys, you know. And all, all it's been is I, I've looked at myself like, as woe as me, like i am such hard to know, I, I was just making excuses. And these guys don't. And they went to some real stuff and, and they're very successful. So part of it. And then, you know, another one is that it really goes on that. Um, I, I, I just want to surround myself more with more really successful people. And I think this is a great way of meeting them. I think this is just a great way of building those relationships. And then sharing them with the world, everybody's insights, get them out there, inspiring people uh, through, through our stories, ours and our guests, you know, let, let's, let's let everybody, hopefully they hear our episodes and they feel inspired to want to go out and, and be successful and overcome their hardships.
0: Yeah, absolutely, man. I think we're, we're in lockstep on, on most of that, if not all of that. So that's, yeah. that's great. You want to, Jump into some rapid fire questions. Yeah, let's do it. (laughs) All right, man. All right. What is one hack that you use in your daily life?
1: Yeah. So I was trying to think of things that I don't think our uh, guests are going to say or have said already. No, no. I want to hear
0: your true
1: Yeah, no. So there are hacks for me. Yeah. But I (laughs) wanted to try and come up with something unique. So for the hack, mine are going to be shoes. And it's... um really high quality shoes. I think it's, it, it makes all the difference in the world. And it's not just in running, obviously you need good quality shoes. Or you're going to get injured. Right. But even in like dress, I'll tell you what, about 10 years ago, I bought my first pair of Allen Edmonds shoes. And to yeah. me at the time, they were like ridiculously expensive. I'm like, how can I do, do this? I think I put it on a credit card and paid it off over a little bit and i bought a pair of the the strands walnuts i still have them to this day and they're like 10 years old and they still look amazing and i still get compliments to this day from people and i'll tell you i i it gives me a confidence that i don't think i would have had otherwise and that alone you know makes me i think do better in a room with high power people but i you know uh the comfort level is just amazing it keeps me from getting injured so i i think shoes are so underrated Uh, like people don't think about it, but what you put, what you wear on your feet is just a really big hack.
0: And I think you touched on a great crucial point to that too. It's confidence, right? Even more so than how you look externally to people. It's you having the confidence that you feel like you look good. You feel great. You're not worried about your feet hurting, but, but also you just feel like that high level top achieving kind of person. It, It just sets you up for success. So totally. that's great, man. That's yeah. Great. Thanks. All right. Now name a favorite.
1: I think um I became a really big reader during this transformation time. I think I was always a reader, but more of a, you know, not as much of a book reader, just like articles, things like that. Uh and there's a few books in my life that have made a big trend, you know, big difference in my life. Sometimes you're gonna hear about it. So one of them I haven't really heard come up much, but has made a big difference is uh the four agreements by um, Miguel. Yeah. I forget his name at this this moment, but that's a, again, I think those are actually soft skills that are really, really, really important. You know, just being true to your word, for example, like how important is that, that integrity? And this week that came to life because I'm working on the biggest deal of my life right now. It's a land development deal outside of Denver. It'd be 64 total uh, housing units Uh, it's an apartment building we're going to resell them all you know and and the people who brought them to us they could have gone to anybody and they came to my business partner who's got like the most integrity of anybody I know and they came to him because they said to him hey we work with a lot of people we really like to work with you and you know he gets a lot of opportunities for partnerships all the time and sometimes he chooses to work with them or not and oftentimes he he if he doesn't really trust a person something he won't, he just won't do it like it's about that but he he wanted to be my partner and i i really feel honored by that and i think like it's opening up all these crazy doors because of his integrity which i hope is spilling onto me and making me a more integrity person and i that that's a lesson in that book that i just think uh is really really important you know for yeah. business and for life that we just take for granted
0: yeah. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Alfonso at Silva Markham. But yeah. uh, you know, don't sell yourself short. I mean, he chose to be mm-hmm. your partner for a reason too, right? I think yeah. he sees a lot of that integrity and, and hard drive in, in you as well. So thank you. You guys are a great duo and congrats on that deal. Can't wait to thank you watch watch you see it through. <laughs> All right. If you could tell your 25 year old self one thing, what would it be?
1: Oh, um gosh, there's so many. I think we've touched on a few already. I, I think the 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 one I, I, at 25, I was actually really happy and successful at that time. So I'm thinking about the times when I wasn't, and I just think it's always about just always keep on keeping on. Like no matter how dark things are, they're they're happening for a reason, and and they're gonna get better, right? So appreciate every everything you got. Everything is a gift everything
0: what do you think holds people back from being happy
1: wait can i can i give another answer on that last one i'm sorry i just thought of a really one that would be really appropriate for my 25 year old self Sure, (laughs) sorry so the um i was a really remember i told you about in high school like i got pretty good at cracking on people and i was like a defense mechanism yeah later on i realized how much that how bad that is you know i just developed this really bad sarcasm and I've realized over time how much it's gotten me in trouble. And I didn't recognize that. And it just, I think about like how many relationships that could have been great relationships in life did I lose because of my sarcasm, right? Like a, something that seemed funny to me in my head may not have been funny to somebody else. And yeah. they're no longer my friend. And I know there's a couple of people who are coming to mind right now. Like I said a joke about them, and somebody that was like their relative or they cared about what well, heard it. And they're no longer my friend or even that same person. I might've said something. And I, I really didn't mean it. And, uh, and, and I, I really wanted to be um, just funny, which is stupid. And it cost me some really, really good relationships, I think, hmm. of people I would have loved to still be friends with now that I I, would, I may never get that chance again. So I think that, that'd be it. Just be more careful and mindful in, in my way of joking around.
0: Now, what do you think holds people back from being happy?
1: Yeah, that's probably the answer I should have given originally on <laughs> on the last question uh, uh, th- that I originally gave up for the last question, which is just just appreciate everything. just be really grateful for everything you have and um uh you know, just recognize everything's a is a is a gift in our team meetings we we have a Monday morning meeting every week to start. And and we always start with gratitudes. Everything we do starts with gratitudes. Part of our routines that we build on our team is just writing thank you notes every day, uh, starting your day with that. So just, yeah, recognize everything's a gift and be grateful for it. I think that that will truly shift your mindset and make you happy.
0: Absolutely, man. Um, So if people want to get a hold of you, how do they do so?
1: Uh, probably email L Hernandez at pioneer group, realty.com. And, uh, and uh, my phone number, I won't be afraid to put it out there. I don't know. Well, how many people are going to get it first anyway? So, uh, seven, two, zero, four, four, five, five, eight, four, seven. Easy way to remember it is just seven, two, zero, four, four, five, Luis. So, uh, that's it. Nice.
0: All right, man. And we'll put that stuff for the show notes for everybody. But this was a lot of fun to the listener out there. Uh, Hope you enjoyed getting to know your co-host, Luis Hernandez, as well as I do. We look forward to catching you guys on the next episode. We hope you've enjoyed The Wayfinder Show. If you got value from this episode, please take a few seconds to leave us a five-star rating and review. This will allow us to help more people find their way to live more authentic and exciting lives. We'll catch you on the next episode.